I am. I probably really did say everything that I was most important. But I wanna, I'm going to reprise the two really most important things. Because as we were talking in these last minutes about that, that intimation that to be a human being means I keep checking back on that, on that story to be living in a world devised to sadden. Um, whether because things are temporal, does that mean that life is sad because we get old and we... and then we're not anymore? You know, maybe it's not sad. One, one of my teachers once said to me when I, when I had had some particularly profound feeling about everything that arises, passes away, really. I said, it's so sad. And he said to me, it's not sad, Sylvia. It's just true. But, you know, it is true. And he said, sad is a story. And I, over the, and I, I thought that was a fine thing to say. But over the years, I thought to myself, sad is not a story. Sad is a condition of mind where the mind weeps. It feels... Like it has a wind out of its sails. There's no question in my mind that as human beings, even other animals miss when people that are dear to them aren't there anymore. And we miss people who aren't there anymore. I think it's, I think it's not, maybe sad is the wrong word. Maybe poignant is the, is the word. Poignant is the word for when someone's not in the world anymore and you feel like phoning them because you always did. And you say, oh, I'll phone. And then I said, no, no, can't phone anymore. Because no matter that our people who aren't with us anymore are in some profound way, I feel my parents to be with me these many decades after their passing in some profound way, but I can't phone them, mm-hmm. you know. Nor can I give them a hug. Nor, can I, nor will they have a tomorrow that I hope they would have. So it's poignant. It's just really poignant. And I think, I actually think we're strung that way. I think we're strung to feel um, profoundly the loss of what's dear to us. I always find that at the end of that, uh, at the end of sitting, when we're talking again in this somewhat ordinary way, I, th- I always sound different to myself than I did an hour ago. I think my, I think my voice dropped a half an octave or something. Or, uh, and other people talk slower also. Maybe it's just because we've been meditating. But I think that really encountering the truth of uh, the, um, the, uh, that we really miss, we lose, we lose everything in this life. And it's... Uh, it takes some some getting used to. I keep remember forgetting the word is to disappoint, to sadden, devise to sadden. When you go in a hospital to visit somebody who's there, and on your way to your person, you have to pass other people's rooms, and you look into other people's rooms, and in many other people, many many people, many rooms. There's always a person in some really 
is often a person in some sad-looking state alone, which is sad. And in many rooms, there's a person in a bed, and there's a knot of people around them. And you don't know who the person is and what's the problem with that person, but you know the feeling that the people in the knot around the bed have about that person in the bed. They're there because they care about them. And we empathize with that feeling. And my sense is if we really, really got it, when we go into a hospital, we lower our voices. And then we come out because we realize, realize here is a really a sacred place. People are confronting and on the, br- on the brink of possible loss of somebody. And then we go out in the world and we don't lower our voice. And um, in fact... You know, it's it's not stretching a metaphor too far to say. Uh, I have a sense that in our daily parlance, we're a little too high in the voice. You know that uh, uh, not enough uh, attention to. We're all in a profoundly shaky position in this life. Uh, political rhetoric, international rhetoric. I think if we really got it, what would happen? If, if we really don't remember that everybody cares about living and dying and that lowering the voice. I think that's what happens. Somebody used to say often, I haven't heard it in a long time, but someone would say at the end of a retreat, I wish that the political leaders of the world would come on retreat, that the Palestinians and the Israelis or the this and the that and the, maybe all of us like maybe a sampling of the United Nations every week, another 10 representatives. They don't go to the UN building. They go instead to a retreat center and they spend a week with one of everybody in there. But on a retreat, you don't talk to anybody. So first of all, they could all wear the same clothing so you don't know who they are. And they all eat the same food and they all sit quietly on retreat. People notice from the beginning of the retreat till the end that distinctions blur. This is an irregular retreat where maybe it isn't even so diverse. But in the, from the beginning, people have um, impressions of people. They said, there's the person who bangs the door too loud. Ah, I don't like them. They're, a, they're an unthoughtful person. And then the next time you see them, you say, here's that unthoughtful person. I see them on the line taking so much food. You know, they... I knew they were unthoughtful, and they move into a category. And then and there's the other person who's sneezing so much. Why did they come to this retreat when they're sick? That You know, other people are here, or they should just, it's unfortunate that they're sick, but they should stay in their room and listen to the Dharma talks on tape, and when they get better, they should come in here and then sit and sneeze. But And by the end of the week, all of that goes away. People stop being so easily irritated. And they start to see people with a, as a person, not as a door slammer or a food hoarder or a sneezer, but as a whole person. And somehow, without talking to the person and finding out that they have terrible troubles in their life, just as you do, you intuit it because in the course of a week, you feel more comfortable in your own mind and your own body, and you don't have to be so on guard. That particular instruction from... Thich Nhat Hanh, that um, that rubric of thinking to yourself, uh, I am at home, I am, I have arrived, really is, a, is such a clue to when we feel safe in our minds and our bodies, 
then we can actually afford to look at a person in a wholeness, not as the slammer or the eater or the sneezer, but as or as the Palestinian or as the Israeli or the this or the that or something else, but a person who undoubtedly, like me, has stuff that get that hurt in the mind. People used to say we should have retreats and they should the United Nations should especially before a debate, they should all be on retreat with each other for a week and start to see this person eats and walks and falls asleep on their zafu just as I do. You know, that's interesting because one of the things that I think is important as mindfulness gets very um, well-known in the Western world is that it's actually possible in a variety of contexts, Buddhist and others, to talk about what happens if people are mindful moment after moment after moment. They're just predictable things without having heard of the Buddha or knowing what the Buddha said. The same, the same insights about that uh, that life experience is inevitably challenging. That the the source of challenge is not the events that happen to us so much as the way the mind handles the events, and the extra tension in the mind around events that we can't deal with. And that it could be otherwise. That the mind could meet things, mind events, with a certain um, Actually, I think the best word is stoicism. I've been reading about stoicism, and I'm I'm relearning again that we tend to think of stoics as people who can grit and bear it, but grin and bear it, you know, tough. But stoicism is just knowing things are the way they are, really, and not to make a fuss about it. This is how it is. This is how it is. Not to want more or less. Not to make stories about it that then build up views, that then build up ideologies, that build up animosities. I watched some television yesterday. I, I, I try not to, I don't watch the news usually, but uh, because I knew that the president was speaking at in the evening, uh, and I really did want to hear what he had to say. And I uh, I watched uh, news channels in the hour before, and I watched uh, I watched both the news channel that I generally watch if I'm going to watch, which is the what we think of I think of as the liberal and progressive end, and I watched the channel that I never watch because I don't think that, and I realized as I watched it that I never watch it, and so I thought to myself, wow, this is a whole new thing. And they both said more or less the same thing. That was really interesting to me in the hour before. And I had decided that I was going to listen to all this stuff as if, if I could, as much like I don't know what's the right answer. Uh, I actually have... uh, I've actually been reading a wonderful book of uh, uh, Zen koans, this is called Bring Me the Rhinoceros. Do you know this book? Anybody know this book? It's a wonderful book, isn't it? I'd read it a long time ago. You know, the funny thing is, I was reading the book. I picked it up yesterday, and I started to read it, and I read it again. I thought, this is a wonderful book. You know, I'm really, I'm really so impressed with it. I'm so glad I'm reading it. 
Then I read about who else liked it, you know, where you write endorsements. And I see, oh, I wrote an endorsement for it. That was, that was, that was so weird because I, you know, that, because I guarantee you, I, I mean, I guarantee you I read it before because I, I wouldn't have written the endorsement otherwise. But, but you know, it's the same, we keep learning the same lesson over and over again. And then it goes out the mind that the only reasonable answer, now if someone asks me, where do you live? I want to mail you a letter. As if I said, I don't know, that would be ridiculous. So that there's, a, there's a functional answer to it. But how do you feel about what, you know, what should be done in Syria? The truth is, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I have my knee-jerk, what I think I know and is right, and all my columnists line up with that. But they don't, actually, now. They're, they're really surprising me. But they moved this way, and I didn't. But then these people moved that way, and I didn't. And then people I hardly... Anyway, I decided that what I would do is try to listen without having an opinion. And it was way easier than having an opinion. If you have an opinion, then the mind has to have a fight with everything that people say. No, no, you're wrong about that. And uh, and I got, and there were many, many things about what the president said, uh, even down to, well, whatever, that I could have said, no, no, you know, that's not so. That was That's an idea, but I don't subscribe to that idea. But I thought, you know, I'm not making. I'm not going to be able to vote on this. I mean, I've signed the petitions that I wanted to sign. I did do something, but now it's out of my hands. And how to say? And when I say, I really don't know. I really don't know. Um, I'm in much less agony than when I think I do know. So it's hard to do. It's hard to do. Susan, do no harm. Do no harm. I think do no harm. But then the question is, what's harmful? You know, you know. So I was thinking particularly about Thich Nhat Hanh because I once read an article that he'd written years ago, where someone said, "Would you ever kill anyone under any circumstances?" And he said, "Never." I was very impressed by that. And then he said, "Well, what if that person was going to kill the last Buddhist on earth?" Which is a silly question because I actually didn't think he was going to say, "Well, if it was a Buddhist, of course." But you know, <laughs> you know, it's it's a it's a sort of a it's a it's a, it's a silly question. So he said, "No, no. If there was anything good about Buddhism, it would come back." But it, that it really is so not in the realm of because Buddhism is a construct, and the Buddha wasn't a Buddhist, and. Uh, you know, it's a whole, and, and and Buddhism is so many different things. This Buddhism, that Buddhism, another Buddhism. When people say, "Well, Buddhists believe that da 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 da," you know that the rest of the sentence is wrong, because they don't. Like if you say Protestants believe, they don't, or even Catholics. They have a general, but there are certainly um, sects in Catholicism in terms of interpretation, and then certainly in Judaism. The sentence that starts Jews believe is already a not true sentence. <laughs> so to say, you know, but but I thought to myself, it's very hard on any level to say I would always know, never would I kill anything. I don't know. I don't think so, but I don't a person. But you know, I'm not a vegetarian. I don't think I'm doing harm. I you know, but other people have other views. 
I actually think that uh, that my my problem, I think anybody's problem really, is attachment to the views. It's got to be my way, um, or even I have to do my view. You know, um, if there's some imperative in the mind, then there's suffering in the mind, and I have a I have a better shot at really understanding the largest view of this is a very complex world. I don't mean to say I don't know in the way to say I don't have any idea about it. I think I'm fairly well informed. But I don't know all the undercurrent things that are going on. I don't know that what every lawmaker in in Washington is privy to that I don't know. I don't know what the leaders of the world are all privy to, really. I think I will make the best contribution to um, peace in the world by saying to everybody, let's think it over, which is what's happening now, which I hope it's what's happening now. I wanted to say something about the September 11th that happened 12 years ago. And then I want for us to think about refuges and precepts because when it happened 12 years ago, uh, September 11th was on a Tuesday, and we were here on Wednesday. Who was here that day? Anybody here? Lynn was here. Yeah, Joe was here. You were here? Yeah. I was glad to be here. I was really glad to be here. And my recollection, you tell me if I'm not remembering this right, my recollection is we sat there. I don't know that we sat right off. We may have come in and talked about a little bit about you can't not say what's going on. More people than usual were here. I remember that, and I remember that we. I think we sat a little bit. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe this is the, ser- the sequence of things that happened. Maybe we talked and said, "Who has something to say? Where were you? Anybody knows anybody? This is how it worked." Anybody knows that knew anybody knows anybody who was in New York? Anybody have anybody in those buildings? And nobody did directly, but people had um, an indirect connection. My cousin in New Jersey lives next to somebody who was there, or somebody knew somebody who was there, or somebody might have been there. Uh, everybody has connections on the East Coast. And, uh, and people talked about hearing the news then, and we talked about where were you when you heard, and what did you do. So it was really important that people talked about how they felt. And but you go ahead, Lynn. Did we have it all the time? Okay, I forgot that we had a chant on a CD, which. Is in our bookstore that very that was very low playing in the background. That's in um, chanting in Pali. So uh, actually, part of it is in English. But uh, what she, what the chanter is saying is, may all beings everywhere be peaceful. May all beings uh, be safe. May all beings, whatever their living nature, wherever, as high as the highest, as high as the highest what, 
as high as the highest skies, as low as down to low, low, low. May all beings be at ease. It's a very consoling chant. I, I usually have it in my car all the time. I played it at home for several days after it happened. And what was consoling about it is, first of all, the, the tone of it is consoling and the words are consoling. But the message that was most consoling to me is that uh, that's a practice for so many people in the world, that so many pre- people in the world have the practice of making the intentions over and over again. May everybody in this whole world, down to the highest depths and up to the highest high, be at ease. That people are training their hearts to be in that direction. That that's a possibility. It's a possible choice for human beings to say, I'm going to train myself. The line in the Metta Sutta that always touches me more than anything, I always set it up when I teach the Metta Sutta. I say... Whatever line you think is the most important in this whole thing, and then people say what they think is the most important. And I secretly think I know what's the most important. <laughs> and, secretly, but, and then the truth is, here's the real truth, I secretly thought that the truth was wishing in gladness and in safety. May all beings be at ease, because I think the whole of the Metta Sutta is instructions for... How are you? Ma- how we, how will we manage as human beings with animal bodies and minds that have preferences and desires and antipathies and fears? How will we manage to wish well for all beings? We can only manage it when the mind is feels safe and happy. So the first ten or eleven or twelve lines of the sutta our ethical conduct. And my understanding of it is we should behave ethically and morally in the extreme, not doing the slightest thing of which the wise would later reprove is the line before wishing in gladness and in safety. So that's how we should live, not doing the slightest thing of which the wise would later reprove. That It covers it completely. You don't have to even talk about code of ethics. Not doing the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, so it gives you them. That's it. So I thought, wishing in gladness and safety. Then I thought, well, it's also important to say that after that it says, may all beings be at ease. Oh, may all beings be at ease, omitting none. Then the important words are omitting none. Whenever you read uh, commentaries on the Metta Sutta, it says, you know, for most people wishing well for other beings, especially those we don't know, is pretty easy. Because the ones we don't know, if we don't have stories about them, that this group of people or that group of people, if we don't have stories about them, well, sure, I can wish them well. But the people in my family or the people I know who have in some way injured me or hurt me, that's so hard. But then over the years I've decided, no, all the, when I've said, what's the most important line? And people have mentioned every other line in the sutta, begin to think they all are. And maybe the one that says, by not clinging to fixed views. By not clinging to fixed views. The pure-hearted one, by not clinging to fixed views. One of the fixed views that, that you know I find in my mind is my views of the people I know. 
this one is so cool, this one is a little bit of an annoyance. They're not even mean, mixed views, but... I was so happy last week. I was at a day-long... This is going to maybe say something bad about me in retro, but anyway, it's halfway out of my mouth. So I was at a day-long teachers' council meeting with the 20-some other people who are part of the teachers' council that I have been part of a teachers' council with for 20 years now, meeting regularly. And over the 20 years, you get to know people pretty well, and people have personalities, you know, and some of them you have more affinity for, and some of them are less. So, you know, they're all noble people, you know, but this one is a really close friend, this one a little bit, this habit gets on your nerves. And I was looking around the other day, in the middle of people who were talking about a certain problem of interest to all of us, and some certain idea. I looked around, I thought to myself, I really love these people. I completely love these people. And I said, I thought to myself, you know, I used to not really have the best feeling about that person, but I forgot why. <laughs> now, you, know, I, you might think, well, you know, it's from oldness, you forget why. But actually, if I, you know, it's not from oldness. It's just what, and that thing that that person is, that personality trait, they still are. But if the mind is in a, in a ennobled enough state, it doesn't matter. You know, it thinks to itself, I think, properly and wisely. That's just the way they are. Everyone is just the way they are. That, I think, is the most profound understanding. When you realize that there's no one here. I mean, this body is here, which is also changing as we see it. (laughs) As we speak, as we speak, you know... uh, there's lots of pictures of me over the years. I f- suddenly see a photo in some spirit rock thing of me sitting in front of these same the same iconography 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Definitely, it's the same. I think it's the same voice, more or less, but definitely the body is changing. But in the moments when I realize that I, I am just the way I am, not because I cleverly, I cleverly figured out how to be, but I can't be otherwise. I had the parents I had who had the parents that they had, and I had the experiences that I had and the teachers that I had. And as I manifest, I am the karmic results of all of that input. And so it's, nothing is actually, I can't get too proud of my. I hope I can't get too proud of myself about anything I do, but not also too down on myself, you know. This is... You know, this is where my committee is at this point in terms of if I remember that at other, about other people, that everybody is just the way they are because they can't be otherwise. This is the way they are. If I want people to be otherwise, like a version more close to what I like, like the version that I... I think this happens in relationships. You know, we get in relationships with somebody because we really feel a certain affinity with them. And then I think if, when, if I'm not careful, it becomes a lifelong project to try to make them more like the idealized version of what they already... Is that not true? You know, if, you know, that I, you know, if a magic wand fairy arrived and said, I realize that you like your person very much, would do anything for them, but 
here I have this magic wand. I could fix up, fix up this one little trait that they have. People are not so far from being able to say, yes, I'd like them to not leave the mail on the table just as they come in the door. I've tidied up the whole day. Now I have this stack of mail. I mean, there are all kinds of things that we'd like to tidy up about. Not to speak about ourselves, but we should be a better version of ourselves. And the, to be able to say, it's a really a compassionate thing because everybody's just the way they are because they are. And to not have a problem with that. It's, it's really so inspiring to me. So what we did those, those 12 years ago is we sat, we talked about what had happened, we listened to the metta chant saying, under no circumstance, all beings everywhere, may all beings be at ease. And then after that, talking about that it was a balm, we have to be very careful to say B-A-L-M, not balm, balm, to the, to the circuitry, to the mind, to the heart, to think about that human beings could devote themselves to kindness. Why is it that when people are in a room with Thich Nhat Hanh, they say this room feels different? You know, I actually, I, I, I think, from my experience from being in a room with him, that it does feel different. But I think he's a very, very deeply trained mind man. And I think that when I am in the room with him, I remember, I forget in that moment, I'm certainly not drudging up whoever I don't like from my memory bank to think about, <laughs> nor am I thinking about politics or who's making a mistake any place or... Uh, the, anything other than he has, a, he has an extraordinary chance to be with this person and my mind becomes focused in that moment and good-natured in the focus because if, if it's focused it feels safe if it feels safe it's good-natured I have such an easy it may be, it, it, it's, it's open to discussion but well, I, last time I counted it was 15, 15 words when my mind is clear, uh, when the mind is clear, when the mind is clear, uh, uh, I can't even make it shorter, uh, kindness uh, manifests. That's probably true. I could even make it shorter than the old one. Usually we are, we are kinder or our hearts are available. But a heart is an ambiguous term. If I wanted to talk to a person outside of Dharma practice, I'd say, when my mind is clear, I'm kind. And most people are. I think most people are. I think most people are wired that way. We feel bad. Somebody falls down in the street, we try to pick them up. Last, um, just uh, some little bit ago, I read you uh, the story that circulates from time to time in the on the email, uh, um, and is in the beginning of a book that we looked at together a while back about the particular man. Do you remember the man in the subway in New York? Some years ago now, it would be um, maybe, but maybe in this last decade, I'm not sure, but some years ago, standing on a subway uh, platform with his two young sons, and a train is, the light of the train is rushing into the subway. You can see it. 
And a man having an epileptic seizure, clearly having a seizure, falls into the tracks. And he jumps into the tracks, this other man, and lies down on top of him, under the train. You know, the trains are... I think he didn't stand there and think it over. He jumped into the tracks, lay down on the person. The train can't stop. It hurtles into the station and screeches to a stop. And his voice shouts out, We're all right here. Somebody look after my sons. And he became a tremendous... I mean, the the media was all... He was a, a, a tradesman, a working man, on his way from somewhere with his two young sons. Clearly he didn't think about it. Clearly he just did it. And I think we love stories like that, all of us. Isn't that an extraordinary story? I, you know, I don't think I'd do it. I mean, not that I wouldn't feel totally, totally distraught about a person who fell on the tracks. I don't know that I have the strength or, the, I or whatever. Uh, I wouldn't have the wits. I wouldn't know what to do. Whatever, you know, I, I, I'd feel terrible. But, but I think that we would all be moved. We'd all, we'd all think that was a terrible thing. People have been studying altruism. I'm going to, this is, this, I, I brought this particularly to see who wants to read it. I read this book. I bought this book probably six months ago sat next to my bed for six months. I tried to read it this week. And I actually made it from the front to the back, but just reading at parts. It's a very, very, very dense book to read. It's called The Price of Altruism. And um, it's a, I think that's a double entendre, that price of altruism, because it's about George Price, who studied altruism. So the price of altruism. But... Uh, I th- the 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 Dublantan part of it is that uh, what looks like altruism uh, in uh, in animals uh, in different species than than people in animals that people can study in bees and hives and ants and anthills uh, in um, certain other animals and other situations where they've studied them is it looks like certain people, certain members of that community sacrifice their lives to protect the others and say, well, are ants altruistic? Are bees altruistic? Uh, that uh, certain, uh, certain bees hang in the hive only to serve as feeder pots for the other bees and the queen bee, and then they die. Um, does that mean that they think about it and dedicate their lives or that the genes just work that out in bees for the preservation of the species? So it's a very intensely fascinating book because it starts with Darwin and um, survival of the fittest. And it talks about the, 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 the philosophers and geneticists and botanists who have studied and studied and studied whether or not we should think about gestures of altruism as really transcending at some higher level of uh, spiritual development. I was looking for the one particular line that I wanted to read to you, but I probably won't find it. 
Uh, or is it something that's built into the species so that the species will live? You know, you hear sometimes about somebody leading a charge, Sergeant so-and-so leading a charge in a war who at the risk of his own life will rush out to save people from the battlefield. And how, what is that? Is that, are we wired to do that? This person that jumped into the subway, was he wired to do it? Um, what, what, do we have a gene? The people after World War II that were interviewed because they had taken in Jews at the risk of their lives, uh, that the interview is uh, over years because they did lots of studies found that uh, in the largest studies of people, uh, righteous Gentile studies they were, and in the largest studies they found that the that they didn't have anything in particular in common. Some of them were gamblers, and other ones were pillars of the church, and so they were all kinds of people. Uh, but they they the one common thread that went through all the interviews was the answer to the question, "Why did you open the door and let those people in when they came knocking?" when others didn't. And the answer that they gave is, I couldn't not do it. So what's in certain people that they can't not? Doesn't it make tears in your eyes? You know, that, you know, what's in certain people? Did they get that way? Did they learn it from their parents? Uh, did they live in... Were they Quakers? Were they Amish? Were they, you know, uh, how much comes from our genes? How much comes from our chemistry? Which is the genes? How much comes from our family? How much comes from what happens to us? Do people who go and serve in armies and uh, come back and then do horrendous acts of violence, would they have been different without being conscripted and having given license to go out and kill? Did they, did they become different? What happens? So I read this whole book. And it was too hard. I rarely, I rarely read a book that I can't understand a lot of. It's very scientifically complex, and George Price does not end up a happy man. But I brought it because I said, well, I would tell about it. But then I thought, well, maybe somebody here really wants to take it on as a project <laughs> and read it and tell me about altruism. Anybody wants it as a project? Nobody wants a project? Nobody, no, not Nancy, no project? Yeah. <laughs> Nancy looked interested, that's why I thought. So listen, Nancy, it's very, very slow reading. <laughs> so really, that, that, uh, there's one more thing I wanted to do. There's uh, several more things I want to do, but one thing I really want to be sure to do. On that day 12 years ago, that we were here, what was very consoling was saying refuges and precepts together. That somehow the sense of there's all these people in this room who are prepared to say, I undertake the vow to abstain from harming living beings. Because I think to myself, sometimes when people say, don't you think the world is, you know, falling apart? It's never going to make it. The atmosphere, this, that, so many, so much brinksmanship, so many uh, weapons. When, every time I read about the numbers of weapons hidden in the world, any one of which could 
and the whole of civilization. It's totally, totally, it's mind overwhelming. But I think to myself, the only thing that could possibly happen would be for everyone to change their mind. Really. Uh, Really change their mind from the um, uh, instinctive, I'll get them back. That, by the way, was the line I had the most trouble with, the, the idea that we could, by this, so to speak, show of force, teach people a lesson. It never teaches anybody a lesson to beat them up and kill people. And it's so painful to hear someone that I think knows better say that because it's painfully so not true. can't imagine. But to think that I live in a world where no matter how many people think that, that, you know, one more hit, that'll do it. But, but that I also live in a world where some people are prepared to say, I'm not going to harm anybody, I'm not going to take anything, I'm going to keep my mind clear. It's very consoling. And I think about that somewhere all over the world, at any moment, there are people who are uh, chanting this somewhere. Like when we... Uh, too bad we don't have the the uh, CD in here. You don't happen to have it on your person. Aha. Uh-huh. Aha. Uh-huh. She knows where it is. That's good. Uh, would you like to hear it? That somewhere in the world at any time, more than one person is chanting these these words. And other people are chanting them. And other people are thinking them. And most people... Certainly the people I talk to when I say, what would it be like to have a world where people ally themselves with that? I mean, we could, we could, in fact, save this planet. I mean, the best estimates is that it is getting hotter and things are going to change and who knows what's going to happen to Florida or California. Uh, but... Um, but to be able to say, people say sometimes if I'm somewhere teaching metta, they said, you think you're gonna, that the world is going to be saved before it does itself in, look what's happening, X, Y, and Z. So I don't know. But even if it doesn't work out, when it all doesn't work out, you've got it on your, you've on got it, you've got it on your phone. Can you, can, anybody got an iPod connector? I mean, do you have it in your system here? I don't know. What if we got, Lynn may come come in with it in a second otherwise we'll play it on your phone Dominic wait a second it's called the chant of metta let's do let's let's us begin before the chant of metta comes we have a little time by at least taking the precepts together and then we'll listen either on Brahmani's phone or on the chant Thinking about all the people that we mentioned when we said our prayers earlier, all the people that we care about and that we want to thrive, people in times of trouble and people in times of great joy and delight, how much we would say for them, I'll take care of you. I'll make sure that I'll do my part to keep this world a safe world. And all the people in the world who have the same 
aspirations to care for their own, to make them safe. Including all the people with all the different ideas about how to do it. Ideas that I agree with and ideas that I think are unwise. May they all feel safe enough to be able to say I undertake the vow to abstain from harming living beings let's say it together I undertake the vow to abstain from harming living beings I undertake the vow to abstain from taking that which is not freely given to me I undertake the vow to abstain from taking this is not freely given to me. I undertake the vow to abstain from speech that is abusive or exploitive. I undertake the vow to abstain from speech that's abusive or exploitive. I undertake the vow to abstain from sexuality that's abusive or exploitive. I undertake the vow to abstain from sexuality that's abusive or exploitive. I undertake the vow to keep my mind free of confusion so that I can fulfill these intentions. I undertake the vow to keep my mind free of confusion so I can fulfill these intentions. When this begins to play, it probably runs 10 minutes. If you need to leave just at 10 to be wherever you need to be, then leave at 10. I think I'll see you next week. Am I here next week? I think so. Mrs. Tony is coming. Absolutely, I'm here. I'll be here next week. If you need to leave, be sure to come next week. It's going to be a great week. Tony Bernhardt. The other Tony Bernhardt, Tony and Tony probably will both be here with Tony's new book, which is great. Shall we leave the chairs up for the knitters? Yeah, but we don't have 60 or 70 knitters. We, uh, yeah. That was, that was too hard. <laughs> oh, bring me the rhinoceros. Not too hard. <laughs> John Tarrant, probably out in the bookstore. There's a cell phone plug-in. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. You can do everything. I want the English. Oh, everything. No, we want the English one. So if you need to leave, then by all means, I'll I'll see you next Wednesday.
uh, with the two Tonys. Have a soft day today. Voila.
may all females, all males, all noble ones, all worldlings, all deities, all humans, all those in the four woeful planes. May they be free from enmity and danger. May they be free from mental suffering. May they be free from physical suffering. May they take care of themselves happily. May all beings be free from suffering. May whatever they have gained not be lost. Beings are owners of their karma. In the eastern direction, in the western direction, in the northern direction, in the southern direction, in the southeast direction, in the northwest direction, in the northeast direction. In the southwest direction, in the direction below, in the direction above. May all beings, all breathing things, all creatures, all individuals. Personalities, all females, all males, all noble ones, all worldlings, all deities, all humans. All those in the four woeful planes, may they be free from enmity and danger. May they be free from mental suffering. May they be free from physical suffering. May they take care of themselves happily. May all beings be free from suffering. May whatever they have gained not be lost. All beings are owners of their karma. As far as the highest plane of existence, to as far down as the lowest plane. In the entire universe. Whatever beings that move on earth, may they be free from mental suffering and enmity. May they be free from physical suffering and danger. As far as the highest plane of existence, to as far down as the lowest plane. In the 
whatever beings that move on water, may they be free from mental suffering and enmity. May they be free from physical suffering and danger. As far as the highest plane of existence, to as far down as the lowest plane. Whatever beings that move in air, may they be free from mental suffering and enmity. May they be free from physical suffering and danger. Nice to think that somewhere in the world, at any time, someone is chanting that. You know, the Jews have a a a, a, um, a, 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 a mythical understanding that there are twenty-four righteous people holding up the world, but you don't know who they are, and they're all over the place, and they don't know who they are either, but. Um, so that's, there, there are righteous people all over the world who are holding up the world. And I think we have, maybe we make that idea because we'd like to think that there are, that there are people who really, that it's a human aspiration to be like that. It's a tipping point. Mm-hmm. If there were enough people who were doing that, you know, I, I uh, first of all, maybe we turn off the recording. It's off. I, I mean, recording what we're saying. We have to find someone who knows how to do it. I'll see you next Wednesday. I'll say that. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.